Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down, just believe. Our guest this week grew up in Harper Woods, Michigan, earned a master's in information technology from Michigan State University. From 1979 to 2000, he held various leadership roles at Michigan Bell, Ameritech, and AT&T. He's been the executive director and CEO of the Detroit Historical Society and the president and CEO of the historic Ford Estates. Today, he's the president and CEO of Fairlane, the home of Henry and Clara Ford. His name, Bob Burry. And I'm Jack Crisula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760. WJR. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to Bob Burry. Since 2019, he's been the president and CEO of Fairlane, the home of Henry and Clara Ford. Bob, welcome. An honor to finally have you. Thank you, Jack. It's my honor to be here. Look forward to our conversation. Can we start by talking about your childhood and your mom and your dad, please? Sure. I had a great mom and dad and and probably uh, one of those fortunate few, or perhaps hopefully not that few, that had a really great, very typical um, suburban American childhood. I have one older sister, a younger sister, and uh, went to uh, Notre Dame High School in Harper Woods, Michigan, and uh, had a a really great childhood experience um, in the traditional type of format that perhaps many people uh, don't have the the privilege or the opportunity to enjoy today. You and I were both blessed to be raised by the greatest generation. What's right. the biggest thing mom taught you? What's the biggest thing dad taught you? Well, I think the uh, biggest things that we learned were taking responsibility for whatever it is we did uh, for um if when accepting a, a challenge or an opportunity, if it's something as simple as going to school or completing a project or whatever, it was to do that with a lot of focus and with a lot of priority. And uh, I guess I might say uh, kind of getting the work done before the play starts and working towards a goal, but not in an excessive way, but it, but achieving what you set out to do. And, and I think the, the other part would be Um, to treat people with respect and civility, which uh, is an attribute that certainly is important today. When you were growing up, what did you want to be? Boy, I I really don't know. You know, I probably wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to um, have control of my own business of some kind. And when I was young, we had some family members that owned, owned some restaurants and I worked in restaurants and bars and that kind of thing, which I really enjoyed. And I liked the idea of uh, being interactive with people, uh, communicative with people, and taking control of your own destiny. And, and I did that for a while in my early days before I kind of moved on to the corporate track. Speaking of corporate world, you earned a master's in information technology from Michigan State. Then you went to work for Michigan Bell, Ameritech, AT&T, for 21 years, talk about that chapter in your life. Well, those 21 years, those three company names, Michigan Bell, Ameritech, and AT&T, 
it was really, you know, uh, whoever was printing business cards back in those days uh, had had a good gig because it was really the same company with three different names. But it was a really interesting, two of the highlights of that time in my life, it was what they called the divestiture of the Bell system in 1984, when we kind of moved away from uh, the monopoly environment that AT&T had, which had all kinds of implications for um, our world. Remember back then we started talking about the internet, which we thought was just going to be a fad. And uh, probably the other most significant thing which has impacted the world was I was one of the early uh, players in what they called Ameritech Mobile or Ameritech Car Phone at the time, when wireless phones were really uh, very, very rare. And obviously, we all know where that went. Um, speaking of, you know, AT&T had a monopoly as strong as anyone ever had. And then this MCI Communications came about, and there was a famous guy, William McGovern, Talk about how that transformed the whole communications industry. Well, you know, MCI was was just one of many uh, that really introduced the concept of competition. And, you know, competition, and, and I believe this, you know, raises quality and, and generally reduces costs or reduces rates. And MCI certainly was one of the first to stick that in the face of AT&T, that's for sure. And... You know, it created this environment that people recognized there was a choice for, at the time, MCI was primarily long-distance carriers and long-distance rates. And, you know, you look to where we are today, and people don't even think about that. You don't really think about if your call to California is going to cost any more than the call across the street. So it, it's just one of the early transformations of the telecommunications and IT or information technology industry that... Um, really um, stepped out there. I can tell you back in the AT&T days, we thought that would just go away too. Just like we thought, you know, some of the cellular phones would go away too. But obviously, consumer choice, con consumer demand drove the market, not what um, uh, folks at the, the NEI Ivory Tower decided. Uh, we're showing our age, Bob. When we talk about calls, uh, younger generation, they don't even know what a phone call is, right? They don't <laughs> call. So. I can't tell you the number of people when our daughter's age and are younger that talk about touch tone. They have no idea what touch tone means. So, and, all right. For 21 years, you were in the corporate world. <laughs> now, the last 21 years, you've been in the non-for-profit world. What's the difference? Well, there's a, there's a lot of differences. And, and, you know, you asked me early on, what did I want to be? Uh, I would have never guessed uh, non, in, in the nonprofit sector. But the nonprofit sector, uh, through uh, a, a great relationships in, in my life, I came to get involved with the Detroit Historical Museum, the Detroit Science Center, and some other organizations. And I think the big difference there is that, um, first of all, it's harder work. You have less resources, you work more, and you have, have less people to help you. And secondly, uh, but it's driven by passion and a care for what the goal of the organization is. And quite frankly, that's, um, I've always been a fan and interested in Detroit and Detroit history and, and the auto industry and, and everything that goes along with that. So the opportunity to um, be a part of Detroit's story and Detroit's recovery was uh, pretty attractive. We're talking to Bob Burry and he's being humble when he says he's been a fan 
of Detroit its history. We're talking to an expert of Detroit, its history, and some of its most influential families. And I'm Jack Prisula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula. We're with Bob Burry. And from 2000 to 2002, he was VP of Marketing and Development at the Detroit Science Center. Talk about the Detroit Science Center, please. The Detroit Science Center was, it was, a, it is, was and is a great place. It's a very hands-on, interactive place where um, primarily children um, are really in many cases, especially children from the city are exposed for the first time, which today we call STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And the Detroit Science Center back then was really started uh, or restarted because it's it's had some stops and starts in its history by some what I would call Daimler Chrysler refugees, people that uh, left the company at the time of that merger and decided they wanted to put their engineering and science backgrounds together to benefit uh, people and communities and kids that may not have that opportunity. So it was back to my comment about being entrepreneurial. It was very entrepreneurial. Our offices were in a trailer and uh, we asked everyone uh, we could for money and we were generally successful. And, and we opened one of the things I'll remember about the Detroit Science Center when we opened it in uh, 2013 or reopened it, we were open for 36 consecutive hours. And people thought we were crazy that, oh, you're no one's going to come or you're going to get robbed or whatever the case might be. But we were open for 36 consecutive hours, made the national news with that stunt and uh, had a great time. And it was a peaceful, fun 36 hours, though very tiring for all of us. From 2002 to 2018, Bob Burry was executive director and CEO of the Detroit Historical Society. Bob, paint for us a picture of downtown Detroit and Woodward Avenue in 2002. It was pretty quiet. It was pretty uh, on the edge. Um, we would joke, and it probably wasn't a, a, a total joke, that if we didn't do something quickly, that the Detroit Historical Museum could turn into a dollar store. Uh, because during that period of time, the city government, understandably so, I had to make some tough uh, choices in a lot of areas. And one of those choices was to eliminate the funding for what was then called the Detroit Historical Department. Um, so the Detroit Historical Department uh, provided all the employees, all the resources, the buildings. The Detroit Historical Society provided some supplemental support. Make a very long story short, we, much like the Detroit Zoo and the Detroit Institute of Arts, the Detroit Historical Society took over management of the Detroit Historical Museum. The city retained ownership of the assets, which they still do today. And uh, but we went from a $5 million budget to about a $1.5 million budget that we struggled to uh, raise funds for. But going back to my comment about entrepreneurial, very entrepreneurial, because we did everything differently. Um, we uh, had many new employees, many new practices. But the biggest shift, I think, is that we turned our attention to the visitor, to our guests. What did they want to see as opposed to 
Um, internally, perhaps in the past, it was more of what we wanted to do. And kind of a little known fact, the Detroit Historical Society and museums now uh, have the museum on Woodward, the Dawson Great Lakes Museum on Belle Isle, which has been totally transformed, and then the a enormous collection center on the grounds of historic Fort Wayne, where there's 250,000 items and artifacts and clothes and vehicles and medical equipment and furniture, and, and the list goes on and on, that tell the story of Detroit back from the 1700s really to the to contemporary times. Great experience, great opportunity to also get involved with the city and what was going on and seeing some of the transformation through the different mayoral administrations. And, and uh, I have to say with every one of them, though they were all different, they were positive. And the mayor's office and, and the city council to this day are, are great supporters of the historical museum. Since 2000, you've had a front row seat on the rebirth of downtown Detroit. Absolutely. What's, what's amazed you the most? Um, <laughs> well, there's two ways to answer that, perhaps. What's probably amazed me um, in one way is why did it take so long? <laughs> there, there was a lot of process, a lot of stops and starts, a lot of um, bureaucracy um, that if it could have been avoided, um, it could have gone a lot more quickly. But uh, the, other, the other thing that was amazing is the incredible generosity, the incredible can-do attitude of the people of Metro Detroit, the people that really want, wanted it and continue to want it to succeed um, and put forth their energy, their, their devotion, their dedication uh, in a hands-on way. And in many cases, you know, through the foundation community and, and some of the folks that um, have uh, had the privilege of being very successful, the tremendous generosity that we've seen from Metro Detroit to make sure that Detroit prospers from midtown to downtown to the neighborhoods. And, and it just, it never seems to end despite all odds, despite perhaps setbacks that might cause some to say, I've had enough of this people generally come back uh, and kind of that, uh, um, that, that hustle of Detroit and that, that uh, ability for, for people to be excited by the challenge and try and make it happen. All right, we're talking to Bob Burian from 2002 to 2018. He was executive director and CEO of the Detroit Historical Society. Let's go back, Bob, to June of 2017. You shake things up a little bit and you, the museum has an exhibit about the Detroit 67 project. What was it and why did you do it? Well, that's, that's a great question, Jack. And, and I would say of all the things we accomplished at the Detroit Historical Museum, that is by far the greatest for, for a couple of reasons. And, and I'm glad you called it a community engagement project because it was much more than a, an exhibition, which is kind of the traditional museum approach. But we knew that the 50th anniversary of what occurred in Detroit in 1967 was, was coming. You could call it a riot, a rebellion, an uprising. All of those words have connotations. So, you know, you can kind of choose whichever one you're comfortable with. But we knew that um, we needed to do something and we needed to make it important. We needed to make it memorable. But most of all, we needed to make it forward looking. 
Um, you might recall back then Hollywood was putting together a, a movie about Detroit, which was which was brutal and negative, and fortunately not very successful. <laughs> that that told with great liberties the story of what happened in 1967. But I I will t- uh, uh, go back to a, uh, the input of a, a, a wonderful friend of Joseph L. Hudson, and, and Joe Hudson, who many of you know has has since passed away fairly recently, was the first leader of uh, New Detroit when he was 33 years old. Uh, Governor Cav- or Mayor Kavanaugh at the time and, and Governor Romney uh, put together a, a group of business people uh, to really uh, find out what happened, what caused 1967, um, how can we make sure that it, it doesn't happen again. And I talked to Joe about that, and, and at I believe at the time he was 83 years old, he said, you know, this is a really important story to tell and offered all his, his help and connections to help tell that story, but but he really insisted that it it had to be forward-looking. It can't just be reliving some bad days. So, you know, with with his input and others, we renamed it uh, Detroit 67, Looking Back to Move Forward. And it was one of two exhibits um, um, that was awarded the best exhibit in the United States by the Institute for Museum and Library uh, Sciences in 1968, actually. And then it went on to win a international award as well later on. And the, the point, the, the, the transformational aspect of that is it told both sides of the story. It made no judgment. And it was incredibly inclusive of the community. And the idea was that we wanted everyone's um, uh, input, everyone's perspective to be considered as we put away this, put the story together. And we also had some great support, again, financial support from the business community, the foundation community. So we were able to tell that story in a very advanced, progressive uh, way that used a lot of technology that, you know, for better or worse, made it feel like you were on the streets of Detroit in in 12th and and Claremont in 1967. And and the last thing I'll mention about that is we worked with the mayor's office and we put up a historical marker at the corner of Claremont and, and Rosa Parks Boulevard in Detroit and refurbished a park. So the people that were still living in that neighborhood, which quite frankly is, is still fairly uh, fairly grim, uh, have a beautiful new park, have a historical marker to commemorate uh, and, and really pay honor to those who lost their lives, both on law enforcement as well as uh, citizens. And that's still there today. So it was something that really reached out and helped us at the museum uh, certainly um, advance our perception of relevance in the community, diversify our, our audiences, and just grow our support as the authority on, on all parts of Detroit history, some of which is, is not too pleasant to recall. We're talking to Bob Burry and since 2019. He's been the president and CEO of Fairlane the home of Henry and Clara Ford. When we come back, we're going to talk about Fairlane and Henry and Clara Ford. And I'm Jack Rasool, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR.
this is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Prasula. We're with Bob Burry. Bob, Fairlane, let's start with Henry Ford, please. Henry Ford. You know, Henry Ford is, is an innovator, a legend, an icon. And, and, you know, he developed and improved ideas that would change the world and inspire countless others. To, you know, that's kind of a very broad base, but he really defined an America and a world that would change our lives together. And, and a complex man, a brilliant person. And, you know, you could, uh, he would often say that he, one of his quotes is that he invented uh, the modern age. And, uh, you know, through, of course, the $5 day workday and some of the other things he did. But Fairlane was a very interesting, it was he and Clara Ford's 15th and final home. It was, it, it is, uh, well, it was, but it's still there, is built uh, less than a mile from where they were born. And here's a man who really created the industrial age, who in his final home had no interest in living de- in Detroit where it was too busy, no interest in living Gross Point where it was too fancy, but he wanted to live in Dearborn a mile from where he was born, and he lived off the grid. The entire Fairlane estate, which is a 56-room mansion, so bigger than your average home, uh, a five-story powerhouse and garage where he kept his vehicles and and got together with friends like uh, Thomas Edison and George Washington Carver and presidents and statesmen and all kinds of famous people. Um, And then at the time, 1400 acres. But when they built Fairlane back in the ninth in 1915, um, the entire home, the entire estate was powered by the Rouge River, by water power. And uh, the powerhouse that in the generation that took place in there was was enough to not only power the estate, but also at the time, the entire city of Dearborn. So it is an amazing place from uh, not just from the the beauty of the home, but how far it was ahead of their time. And and here's a man who, again, created factories and automation and and the industrial age, but chose to live very simply. And he and Clara would enjoy bird washing and square dancing and some some of the reading to each other, listening to the radio and living a very simple life away from the hustle and bustle that you know one one could argue he created at one point probably the richest man in america that's Spend right a little time if you would on telling us about clara ford well you know clara ford is an amazing person and clara ford um as as one of one of uh, henry ford's quotes uh go the greatest day of his life is when i'm i'm uh, married mrs ford uh, i'll read it to you he says i attribute whatever i've been able to accomplish in life far more to my wife than to anything else and to everything else put together but i could not flatter myself that i found her because i was a quote good picker i believe profoundly that we are guided led in such momentous matters and s- some of the things that that uh, Clara Ford and many of the issues that the Fords together addressed are still very relevant and very um, uh, pertinent today. 
one of the things that Clara Ford was very involved in were, were uh, women's issues. Um, she she campaigned in support of the women's suffrage movement in 1920. She was active across a broad range of other women's issues. Uh, in fact, she was instrumental in, in encouraging or insisting that Ford Motor Company back in 1916 pay the same $5 per day wage to women as they did to male employees. Uh, she was very involved in establishing the Henry Floor, the Henry Ford Hospital School of Nursing, uh, which she and, of course, Henry Ford established in Detroit. Uh, a nonprofit today located just around the corner in Dearborn Heights, Vista Maria, where um, women that came from disadvantaged backgrounds were supported, which start, was started by Henry Ford. I mean, Clara Ford, sorry. And she was involved in a lot of the, the uh, uh, nursing, healthcare um, issues, as well as women's rights, as well as a big fondness for gardening. Yeah, visitors uh, to Fairlane today can experience and enjoy the beautiful gardens that were really tended by Clara Ford, of course, with the staff number or two. But uh, that was her other passions. Uh, one of her other passions being the head of the National Garden Club, the Dearborn Garden Club, and some other factors as well. Healthcare uh, was really, though, I, I would say that her uh, priority and making sure that women were recognized uh, for their contributions on an equal footing as men. Um, tell us about the renovations that you and your team have been going through and the life of Fairlane today. Yes. Well, Fairlane is, is an amazing state. And, and for listeners who, who, just as a quick background, um, when Henry Ford and, and, and later Clara Ford lived there, after Clara Ford passed away, um, Ford Motor Company used it for storage. And then uh, in the mid-1950s, Henry Ford II um, gave it and a significant amount of money to the University of Michigan. And the University of Michigan established University of Michigan Dearborn. Uh, so that the home in the estate was part of the campus. Back in 2013, a new nonprofit was formed with the intent uh, led by Edsel B. Ford II, led by um, Edsel to really bring the home back to what it was like when Henry and Clara lived there. So how do you humanize the story of Henry and Clara Ford in a way that uh, is relevant today and can serve as that source of inspiration that, that they were so focused on? So since 2013, we have uh, worked tirelessly to uh, restore the home because quite frankly, uh, since 1950, there hadn't been a lot done from a historical perspective. So paint was taken off walls, new rugs were created, chandeliers were, were found in various places around the country that were from, originally from Fairlane. New ones were fabricated. But the, the, the goal here, and we're, we're making very good progress on that goal, is to recreate Fairlane the way it was when Henry and Clara lived there with some original furniture and furnishings, with a lot of very meticulously uh, crafted reproductions. Some of the things we have there are, are a billiard table that was there for Edsel. Um, we are restoring the bowling alley that was 
in, in the lower level that Henry and Clara put in for their only son, Edsel. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, a recount that probably like many of us, Jack could remember of our age that everybody wanted everything white. Everything wanted to brighten things up. And so Henry was gone on a business trip somewhere and Clara Ford had uh, the living room and the music room walls painted white over exquisite mahogany brought from South America. So 2000 hours later, our craftsmen, craftsmen were able to move, remove the paint from the walls in the music room using something as small as a dental tool to get into some of the carvings. So a long, perhaps some long detail, but bringing the house back to its original state, reproducing furnitures, um, putting the, the paint and finishes and everything that were like in place when the house was first established. And so we're making great progress. Um, and while we're doing that, we welcome people to come to Fairlane. But unfortunately, you have to kind of stay outside because we're working with chemicals and craftsmen and artisans proudly from mostly from around Michigan, but some from around the world that have come to work on this iconic home. And uh, Fairlane was has been a, on the national a national historic site for over 50 years, which is what's one of the first historic homes to be recognized as uh, a place that's so important to America and America's story. We're talking to Bob Burry. We're going to go backwards a little bit when we come back, because in 2018 and 19, he was a president and CEO of the historic four of the states. Henry and Clara's only son, Etzel, married Eleanor, and they created the Ford House. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Krasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Bob Burry. In 2018 to 2019, he was the president and CEO of the historic Ford Estates. Bob, talk about the Ford Estates and Edsel and Eleanor Ford. Well, the Edsel and Eleanor Ford house, for listeners who haven't been there, uh, is an amazing place uh, that is is worth a, worth a visit. And after I retired from, uh, or tried to retire from the Detroit Historical Society, uh, Edsel Ford asked me to to help with some transitionings that was going that were going on at the Eleanor and Edsel Ford estate and and at Fairlane, and uh, the Gawkler Point, as it's also known, uh, currently known, the branding is Ford House, is where Edsel and Eleanor lived with their four children, 
and an expansive piece of land um, on Lake St. Clair, which is uh, very beautiful. And when Eleanor passed away in the 1970s, um, she wisely left an endowment to maintain that property in the way that her family saw fit. So the family, I think, has made some very good decisions over the past several decades to keep the home, restore the home, maintain the home in a way just as it was when Eleanor and Edsel and their four children lived there. Um, for many years, uh, I had, the offices, including mine, were located in the historic home. And uh, while it was kind of convenient and uh, kind of neat to have a bathtub in your office, uh, it was one of the servants' uh, quarters, um, the decision was made that we need to get the servants' quarters and all the administrative out of the house to ensure its long, long-term ongoing historic integrity and move it into a visitor center, a separate building. And that's what's been going on for probably the fat past couple of years, slowed down a little bit by COVID, but just the years this year opened. And the visitor center at Ford House is uh, worth a trip, a, a must a must see uh, experience. It's of course, where you go to buy your ticket to go on a house tour. But in addition to go, going on the house tour, which is not to be missed in the visitor center, are two new exhibit areas. And one is the history of the Ford family, the Ford family story, which is done amazingly well and tells the story of arguably one of the iconic, most iconic families in America, if not the world. And then there's a second exhibit area, which uh, is a, a changing exhibit area, but it really focuses on design. And because Edsel was all about design, Edsel was the one who brought Lincoln, uh, they call Lincoln Motor Car Company into Ford Motor Company, which incidentally is celebrating its 100th anniversary next year. But it's an exquisite exhibition featuring two very rare speedsters, uh, sports cars, which are side by side for the first time ever. Uh, very valuable, very special cars and a very excellent exhibit on design. And in addition, in the building, there's classroom space and things like that for tours and a wonderful restaurant um, aptly called The Continental. Uh, which has beautiful lakefront views and uh, really an experience to bring all of that Ford Motor Company and Ford family history from that that lives in Metro Detroit in I think an, a nice cohesive package. So it was, it was a great privilege to be part of that. Uh, it's now in its operational mode and uh, it was a good experience to be part of that and, and then have the opportunity to move on to Fairlane to see what we can do there. Well, it was a great opportunity for me to have you walk me through that center, as well as Fairlane. Um, Edsel and Eleanor had four children. Henry II, affectionately known as the Deuce, Benson, Josephine, William Clay. Talk a little bit about you, if you would, about the Deuce, Henry II. Well, you know, he was a, a very strong, uh, very strong personality. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I, I think that um, he um, certainly kept the family in, in the limelight uh, for a lot of his activities. You know, he was he was pressed into service as the, the the president or the CEO of Ford Motor Company at a very very young age, and and I think um, caused him to have to learn a lot of things quickly, and adapt to a lot of you know situations um, uh, quicker than most. You know, I, I often say that you know the members of the Ford family didn't grow up like you and I. And that he had a host of experiences that we may never have uh, in our lives. Um, and 
has caused caused him to be, um, you know, a big part of the 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 lore of the family and of of uh, uh, of the of the company. You know, I think he's he did a lot of great things for the company. Um, made sure that it was at the forefront, and um, I know the the family uh, still is is very obviously involved in in so many things across the community, including of course the company. Um, the the uh, story of Hank the Deuce, as well as the other uh, brothers and Josephina, is really told really well in the Visitor Center exhibition, and I encourage people to learn more there. Uh, the Ford House and Visitor Center is on Lakeshore Drive, just south of Nine Mile. So, and there currently are, I believe, 127 Ford family living members today. So, Bob, yes. as our time winds down together, closing thoughts. You're one of the classiest men I know <laughs> with a fabulous career. What advice do you give to our young listeners tonight? Um, you know, be a gift to the community. Be present in the moment. And seize those opportunities i'll end up with one last quote from henry ford is whether you believe you can do a thing or not you're right i think that kind of says it all aubrey you've been a huge gift to our community keep up the great great work thank you jack pleasure being here please join us next saturday until then i'm jack Rasula. thanks for listening and make it a great week because with god anything is possible Spawn. believe in yourself